Rob Cartledge of robcartledgeministries.com. Titus 2.1 says, You must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Multitudes of professed Christians around the globe are perplexed when it comes to doctrine and clearly articulating their faith. Because of this lack of understanding, many Christians are believing the most absurd and heretical beliefs. And due to this, we have seen an incredible increase of cultish views, even inside of mainstream churches. This series, Critical Doctrine, is to confront this dilemma with clear and precise teaching on the basic foundational doctrines of our faith. Mark 13, Mark 13, verse 3, and it says this. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will all these things happen? And they're talking about the end. And what will be the sign that they are all about to be fulfilled? And Jesus said to them, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, claiming I am he, and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumours of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of the birth pains. So when he says all these troublesome times that are going to be coming on the earth, don't be alarmed because that's not the end yet. But they, these things must take place. A lot of people sort of see wars and rumors of wars. Jesus is about to return. No, it doesn't mean that. It just means that these things must take place, but the end is still to come. Verse 9, you must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogue. So he's telling us, you will be, these things will happen to you. There will be, and Christians throughout the last 2,000 years, have. this is very thing has happened continually to them. They've been flogged in synagogues and in you know prisons and wherever else. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. So you'll do these things because you become witnesses to those people that are doing these things. When you declare Jesus as Lord and Savior and you won't recant of his name, even if they kill you, that'll be a witness to these people. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Hear that? It must be preached before the end. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial... Do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. So you never stress. When you're in prison, you're about to be brought to trial. Don't stress over that. Just trust the Holy Spirit. He will give you words at that time. And keep that in your heart, because if you're ever in prison for the name of Jesus, and they're trying to tell you, look, we'll let you out if you just say, I don't believe in Jesus anymore, don't get set free. Stay in prison and then defend yourself by, and the Holy Spirit will give you the words that no one will be able to resist or contradict at that time. Then listen to this. This is uh, what I believe is the great apostasy or the rebellion or the great falling away. Verse 12, this lines up with 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Brothers will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Why? Parents who believe in Jesus, children that don't. I've actually got people that send me emails all the time about these are fathers and mothers who have children that are rebellion in rebellion to them. And uh, they, you know, I don't know if they necessarily hate their parents, but I'll tell you what, when this time comes, they will be the ones saying, you know, yeah, let's get our parents put to death for believing in Jesus. All men will hate you because of me. 
but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Hear that? All men will hate you because of me. How many people here, how many of you here are prepared to be hated by all people? If everyone was, if you had, to, had a choice, it's either believe in Jesus, just stay with your confession of faith, or be hated by everyone, what would you choose? We've got to ask ourselves that question. Because you know what? A lot of Christians today will choose the people and reject Jesus because they want that popularity back. But just remember what you're choosing. You're choosing eternal death over eternal life. You, it's better to be hated by the multitude and receive eternal life. So keep that in your heart as well. Do not reject Jesus just because it's, he's not fashionable. You know what I mean? Jesus has never been in fashion, but he's always been popular. He's more famous than Elvis. I had one guy say, if Jesus is so, you know, so be wise, Elvis more famous than him. I said, Elvis is not more famous than him. <laughs> more people know about Jesus than Elvis around the world. And where was Elvis in the 1400s and the 1500s and the 1600s? <laughs> it's a stupid argument. Yeah. When you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it does not belong... Now that means that abomination that causes desolation is Satan himself standing in the most holy place in the temple in Jerusalem. When he is standing where he does not belong, he doesn't belong there. Let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. So this is the tribulation beginning right here. The tribulation has begun. When Satan stands in the most holy place in the temple in Jerusalem, the tribulation has begun. That's the abomination. It causes desolation. Desolation for seven years, the 70th week of uh, as I've spoken in the week of Daniel. Let the reader understand. Let those in Judea flee to the mountains. He's talking about near Jerusalem. Those in Judea, get out. At that moment, that seven-year tri- tribulation period. Let no one on the roof of his house go down or enter the house or take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to get his cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that this will not take place in the winter because they will be days of distress unequaled from the beginning. See, that get that. Days of distress unequaled. From the beginning, when God created the world until now. So worse than anything has ever happened. So World War II and World, World War I, we see documentaries all the time about just how bad it was. That's going to pale, pale in comparison to what is coming upon the earth in these days ahead. Guys, it's never a better time to have your faith put in Jesus. Never a better time. If the Lord had not cut short those days, get this, no one would survive those days if the Lord did not cut them short. That's why he's got a specific set period of time set on those, on that period. It's got to be a certain period, seven years. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and miracles to deceive the elect, if that were possible. These false prophets are going to come and do amazing things. There's going to be men standing up, blowing our minds. You know, Chris Angel, look out. You know, there's going to be some other guys coming up doing even more uh, freaky things and calling themselves the Christ. There's going to be false Christ, people who will claim to be Jesus, just as there are now, and people will follow them and believe them just as they do now. It's incredible. But Jesus, if, if you don't see the Lord return with the angels of heaven behind him, with all those that have ever died uh, with him, and he's on the clouds, he flies uh, from the east to the west in like lightning 
and he, he raptures all believers up at that very moment and we're all transformed into our imperishable bodies and the, the dead will come out of the ground and, and all those that souls that are with Jesus will receive their physical bodies back but in an imperishable form. If that has not taken place, Jesus hasn't come. I don't know how people can get this mixed up. Oh, there's Jesus. He's sitting over in the corner. Oh, let's go and talk with him. Oh, come on, man. Where's my imperishable body, I'd say? Why are you here? You should be up there in a cloud. You know, it's crazy that we have the word so clearly explaining what must take place. And yet so many Christians don't get it, don't read it and mix it all up. And it, it just astounds me. Here's the Christ. Look, there he is. Do not believe it for false Christ and false prophets will appear and perform signs and miracles to deceive the elect. See, the elect, you know, if we're aware of this stuff, you know what that means? That we must be in the group called the elect, if that were possible. So be on your guard. I have told you everything ahead of time. Hear that? So be on your guard. Don't let anyone come along and tell you anything contrary to what I have already told you because he has prepared us. He has told us these things ahead of time. Now, this is very important. This actual verse is where all the problems arise it says here in verse 24, but in those days, in those days, right? What days is he talking about? Days of tribulation. In those days following that distress. Did it say, but in those days before that distress? Does it say before there? No. Does it say during? that distress no it says following this is important this actually you know what according to a pre-trib this doesn't apply to the church and i'll tell you how they come to that conclusion it's a doctrine they've inst uh, instituted which is a false doctrine and it enables them to say no matthew mark and luke don't apply to the church the the references to the tribulation i'll explain how they do that so it says this, in those days following that distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. This sounds like Joel 2.28. At that time, what, when does it say? Following that distress, at that time, men will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. He will gather his elect, he'll send his angels from the, to the four winds, heaven and earth, to gather his elect. And you know what that is? That gathering we call the rapture, the apatso. And that happens after the days of distress. After, not before. Now that's clear as day. Look, when I was a new Christian, before I um, <clears throat> went to a church, I understood the rapture was post-trib. Right from the outset, I understood that the rapture was after. When I came into the church, I couldn't believe, and I, it was funny because I heard Joe Schimmel saying this very same thing, and here he comes with the clouds in that sermon that I just uploaded. But he said the very same thing. When he was a Christian, before he went to church, he knew that the rapture was post-trib. And he couldn't believe the teaching that it was pre-trib. He couldn't see it. So we, And like, like him, I searched the scriptures, never found it. I never found a scripture that spoke of a pre-tribulation rapture but I'm going to go, keep on going now I have to start the sermon. that's just the, the text so let's get into the sermon 
In the last 180 years, a lot of fear has crept into the church. And this fear is not the fear of God. If it was, we'd be a much better church, but it's not the fear of God. But rather due to the increase of wars, catastrophes, crime, sickness, which Jesus said must take place, must happen, these things must happen, much of the church fears death and tribulation more than ever. They're scared to death of tribulation. No one wants to go through tribulation. And you know what? Like Bill said to one guy, he says, you know what, most post-tribbers would really, it would be fantastic if it was a pre-trib, we would be absolutely, you know, blown away. That would be fantastic because no one really wants to go through tribulation. But we can't base our hopes on that when it's not in the Scriptures. You know, that's called deception. That's called deliberately deceiving yourself because you fear something and you try to read it into the text. The introduction of the pre-tribulation rapture has really been embraced by this modern church for it fits their paradigm. And the pre-tribulation fits the time, this time of fear in the church. A pre-trib rapture sounds awesome, very easily accepted. And most of them find it very hard to reject it once they've accepted it because their hope is in a pre-trib rapture. But what happens if their hopes get dashed because they have to actually go through a tribulation. If their hope was in a pre-tribulation rapture and their hopes suddenly are dashed because they have to go through a tribulation, could they be part of the great apostasy that takes place when the Antichrist is revealed? We're going to talk about that too. It especially fits in with the seeker-sensitive. You know, come to Jesus, all your worries are going to be taken care of and you're going to be raptured. No bad thing is ever going to be happening to you and therefore accept Jesus because that's how your life's going to be. That's how good he's going to make it. It fits in with the prosperity gospel and all those other like uh, doctrines that are getting taught today. However, questions we should ask is, is the pre-tribulation rapture with the secret coming of Jesus actually in the Bible? A lot of Christians don't even search it out. And what does the Bible actually say about this time of world upheaval? What does the Bible actually say? And we've just read a very powerful scripture, didn't we? Mark 30 or that chapter. Very powerful uh, powerfully it speaks of what happens at that time now the word rapture some believers will try to tell you that the word rapture is not in the bible however the word rapture is taken from the greek word hapazo which means to snatch out or to snatch away it is used in 1 Thessalonians 4:17 where it says after that we who are still alive and are left will be caught up the Arpazzo, together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. So after that time, after the time of the tribulation, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up. And as we know from uh, Mark 13, that, that catching up will be done by angels. So when Jesus returns, he'll snatch us away to be with him. In Mark 13, 27, it tells us that his angels will perform the Arpazzo. There are three standard rapture views, the pre-trib rapture, the pre-wrath rapture, and the post-tribulation rapture. But both of those views, a pre-wrath view and a pre-tribulation rapture view, require a second coming before the second coming. So they require a secret rapture to take place before the actual time where Jesus actually returns, because we all know Jesus returns at the end of the tribulation, because Mark 13 is very clear in that. He doesn't return prior, he returns at the end. So both the pre-trib, pre-wrath require a second coming before the second coming. 
However, according to Mark 13, 24, the coming of the Lord occurs after the terrible days. The pre-raph and the pre-trib view is based off scriptures such as, and this is the scriptures where they get the pre-raph and pre-trib view, 1 Thessalonians 1.10, and it says, And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. He's delivered us from the wrath to come. 1 Thessalonians 5.9, For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation. So they say, well, God's delivered us from the wrath to come and he does not appoint us to wrath. Therefore, we're not going to go through the seven bowls of God's wrath being poured out, which is during the tribulation. But does the Bible actually say that? The wrath referred to in both of these scriptures is translated from the Greek word orgen, which comes from the verb orago, meaning to team or swell. And it implies that it is not a sudden outburst. Like, you know, when if as a father you get angry, but you don't get angry and stay angry forever. You just get angry for a moment and then the anger wears off and then you're back to normal again. It doesn't refer to that type of wrath. It refers to a fixed, controlled, passionate feeling against sin, a settled indignation. It is a wrath that never ends. A wrath that never ends. Now, what are they talking about here? What wrath is the organ wrath? That wrath is hell. Yeah, a wrath that never ends unquenchable fire, right? 1 Thessalonians 1.10, when you understand that then, Jesus, it says Jesus delivered us, past tense, not he will deliver us in the future, he has delivered us from the wrath which is hell to come. 1 Thessalonians 5.9 says, for God hath not appointed us to wrath. He hasn't. Have we been appointed to hell now? Once you believe in Jesus, will you go to hell if you believe in Jesus? You won't. You won't. If you believe in Jesus, follow his word, live by his, his code, do you know what I mean? His, or outwork him through your life, you won't go to hell. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. So these scriptures are not discussing a tribulation, are they? However, the two Thessalonian verses uh, have been used by pre-wrath and pre-tribulations to indicate that God will not have us on earth during the wrath of God being poured out. That's how they use those verses. However, in Revelation 16, 1, it says this, And I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. So the wrath of God. So the Greek word used for wrath in Revelation 16, 1 is thymu. It indicates rage, personal venting of anger. Thymos is used for God's perfect holy wrath in Revelation uh, through those verses there. This anger is directed against sin with intense opposition and anger that burns for a while and then ceases. So that wrath, it's a different word. When, when the bowls of God's wrath are poured out, he pours them out, God's wrath is applied to the earth for that time, then it ceases. Then the next bowl is poured out. It's not the organ wrath, which is hell. It's a venting of anger by a holy God. So one thing to be understood here is that God's wrath is not directed at believers at that time, just as God did not direct his thymu wrath in Egypt against Moses and the Israelites, but rather against disobedient Egyptians. You remember the story of Moses in Egypt? And he's delivering the Israelites, and when he goes into the deliver room, he announces the judgments that are going to be made by God against the Egyptians. The Egyptians uh, um, don't repent so God pours out his judgments upon the Egyptians. But over in Goshen, guess what? His people were fine. 
His people were fine. They did not experience the wrath of God. So that Thymu wrath is directed, it's controlled by God. People have got this thing that when the wrath of God is poured out, the whole earth is just going to go, get swept away and destroy it. No, he will have people that he'll be protecting and he'll have people that his wrath is being vented on. Does that make sense? Tribulation. Nowhere in Scripture does it tell God's people that he will spare them tribulation. Rather, he exhorts us the opposite. I want you to know these Scriptures, guys, because this is, this is true Christianity now. If you don't think like this, then you have to do a, a few fine tunings to your Christianity. John 16.33 says, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation. Many Christians of the past have had tribulation. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. So even while you're going through tribulation, be of good cheer, be happy, because Jesus has overcome the world. And you know that with death comes eternal life. Acts 14.22, confirming the souls of disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must through much tribulation. How much? Much. Much tribulation, we enter into the kingdom of God. You know what? Most Christians today don't want any, Christ, uh, any tribulation at all. If tribulation comes for Jesus' name, they back off straight away. Do you know what I mean? Someone says, oh, you know, you shouldn't be saying that or doing that for Jesus. Oh, all right, I won't do it then. You know, they back right off. 1 Thessalonians 3, 4, For verily, when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation even as it came to pass, as you know. So they suffered tribulation and it came to pass. They told them beforehand that it would happen. And the issue I see with the pre-tribble and the pre-raft theory is that many are taught that before anything bad happens, don't worry, you'll be out of here. Teaching this doctrine is like sowing seeds on, on the stony places. It does not forearm Christians for tribulation, trouble and hardship in the name. What I meant by that, teaching this doctrine is like sowing seeds on stony places. There's a scripture that, that Jesus speaks of, and I'm, gonna, I'm about to read it. But this theory, and, and I've heard it in churches, I've been in churches, where they're talking about bad things taking place on earth. And then they will say, this is how far the pre-trib view goes with these churches, but don't worry, guys, we're going to be out of here. When all these bad things take place, we'll be gone. And everyone goes, yeah, <laughs> come, Lord Jesus, take us. We don't want to go through tribulation. There's big, big problems with that teaching. Big, big problems, especially when those same people end up going through tribulation. Matthew 13, 20 to 21 says, But he hath received the seed into stony places. The same is he that heareth the word. I'm using the King James. I've used a lot of King James verses because I, just for those King James only people that are going to come and try to say, hey, that's not the way the King James words it. Well, this is in the King James. He that received the seed into stony places, the same is he that heareth the word and anon. I looked that up. <laughs> it is shortly. And shortly, and they receive it quickly. Yet hath he not root in himself, but dureth for a while. He endures for a little while. But when tribulation or persecution arise because of the word and of Jesus Christ, by and by he is offended. 
other translations, he falls away. So as soon as they, these Christians that have had like the seed on stony ground, as soon as they face trouble and hardship, they get offended, they fall away. They got no root. They got no root. If you teach a pre-trib theory, you're throwing seed on stony soil or causing this soil to become stony and they have no root. So when trouble and hardship does come, Jesus tells us they become offended. I didn't say that. Jesus said that. Don't be deceived. Contrary to scripture, pre-tribulationists teach that the church will be raptured before the Antichrist is revealed. Do you know how many times I hear people say that? The church will be gone before the Antichrist is revealed. Why that freaks me out, I'll tell you. The reason they have to, firstly, the reason they have to have to teach this doctrine is that if they are not raptured before the Antichrist is revealed, then that would indicate that the church would already be in tribulation. Right? So if you're pre-tribulation, you have to teach that the church has gone before the Antichrist is revealed because they know the tribulation begins with the revealing of the Antichrist. So therefore, they can't say, yeah, we go when the Antichrist is revealed because that means they're already in tribulation to know that he's revealed. Do you know what I'm saying? And that would mean that the rapture is not pre-tribulational. So they have to teach that the rapture is before the Antichrist is revealed. However, 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 to 3, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report or letter supposed to have come from us saying that the day of the Lord has already come, meaning the second coming of Jesus has already come, meaning the rapture has occurred, because that's when the rapture occurs, at the second coming of Jesus on the Lord's day. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed. Who's the man of lawlessness? Antichrist. The Antichrist. He's the man doomed for destruction. Guys, listen to the words here. That day will not come until the Antichrist is revealed. The day of the Lord, which is the second coming of Jesus, which is the day of the, of the rapture, will not come until the Antichrist is revealed. Yet pre-tribulationists will teach that we are gone before that day. Why? Because there's a secret rapture. One that's not spoken of in the Bible, but they choose to believe it because it fits their doctrine. What they're doing is they've made this doctrine and now they're trying to find scriptures, pulling them from every place so that it sounds like it's scriptural, but it's not. It's a deception. It says, don't let anyone deceive you in any way. We mustn't be deceived. We mustn't be deceived because it sounds like what we want to hear. Itching ear preaching is a curse to the 20th and 21st century church. It has been such a terrible curse. Here, you know, you, you, get, you only go to listen to people that say the things you want them to say. Like, you're not going to be here when tribulation occurs. You know, that's an itching ear doctrine. Some preachers say that after Revelation 3, so if you read from 1 to 3 in the Bible, there's mentioned the name church is used. There then is no more mention of the name church in Revelation until Revelation 22. Therefore, the church is not present during that period. Okay. Flimsy argument and very, like, for a scholar to say something like that, you'd have to question his scholarship. But however, the church is mentioned during the middle part of the book of Revelation as saints. During that time, they mention them as saints. 
just as nearly every epistle of the New Testament calls the believers saints. How many times have you read an epistle says to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus? You know, you, you see it, the saints referenced all the time. They're the church. Why are we saints? Not because of anything we've done, because Jesus' blood has made us saints. Also, the entire book of Revelation was written to the churches, to the seven churches. This book is written, this letter, this 22-chapter letter was written to the seven churches, to the churches. How much more clear can you get, regardless of whether the word church is used in it or not? Okay, and this is just a quick side note. Some teach that the tares in the parable in Matthew 13, 24-30 are raptured before the church. Some teach that the tares, who, who knows that parable? If you don't know it, I'm not going to explain it because it's just a quick side note. Uh, however, the tares are not taken with Christ before the second coming. They are bundled together and prepared for burning. They will actually be destroyed at Christ's second coming. I just threw that in because some people teach that the, the first rapture is the tares or the weeds. You, you know the scripture I'm talking about? Yeah. Okay, I won't go any further with that. Come out of, which is ek. The word or the Greek word ek. Many pre-tribulationists see Revelation 3.10 as a proof text for the pre-trib rapture. And I'll quickly read Revelation 3.10. 3.10 and it says this. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test them who live on the earth. Right? Keep you from the hour of trial. Now the hour of trial they see as meaning uh, the tribulation. Okay, at first glance, you could say, oh, the pre-tribulationists have got a good scripture here. Pastor Joe Schimmel does a sermon from his Revelation series on this very text and thoroughly reveals the true meaning of the verse uh, by looking up the verse in Greek and finding out what it really does say because sometimes our translations can sort of miss things out, you know, or not explain the words correctly. And I think you should check that video out. Um, I uploaded that sermon on, as a video last night on our YouTube channel, the very sermon, and the sermon's called Pre-Tribulation Rapture with a question mark, Revelation 3.10. So please check that out. But firstly, Revelation 3.10 is a conditional promise. Here it says, since you have, I'm reading, this is the King James, I think, because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing. Here it's in the NIV, it says, since you have kept my commands to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial. So it's, it's conditional, meaning those that have kept his word. So you could quickly say, well, how many Christians have kept the word to endure patiently? And endure what patiently? There's another thing. Does he, is he referring to the tribulation there? But since you've, been, you've kept the word, so that's conditional. Secondly, it does not use the word hapazo which means the rapture, which is where we get the word rapture from, which is where other verses, where, where it is used. It, is, it uses the word ek and refers to coming out of and keeping from the tribulation of the world. Actually, when you listen to Joe Schimmel's sermon on this, this actually supports the post-tribulational view, this, this scripture. Uh, for they would have to be in the tribulation to come out of it from within it. You can't come out from it if you aren't in it. So if you're in it, it's not pre-trib, is it? At least it's then you're in it. 
Revelation 7, 13 to 14 says, Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? And I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. These, are the, these with white robes have had been in the tribulation and had come out from within it, obviously by death. And I'll show you how. Revelation 6, 9 to 11 which is just before that, Revelation 6, 9 to 11. This is during the seals, the breaking of the seals, 6, 9. says, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God, slain, see, killed, and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe. And they were told to wait a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who had been killed as they had been was completed. So there's a certain allotted amount that had to be killed during the tribulation. And that's 6, 9 to 11. And then a little, just a few verses later, it, we, we, we get the scripture that I read earlier. And where, who are these? With the white robes, they're the ones that came out of the great tribulation. They weren't prior to the great tribulation. They were in it. So the more accurate understanding of Revelation 3.10 would be that they would be kept from, not raptured, but protected. Understanding Revelation 3.10 like this then aligns with Jesus' own words. In John 17.15, listen to what he says. Jesus said, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them. Be kept from the evil one. So his prayer was that we would be able to resist the evil one, be kept from him and stay in the world and serve him. You know, you know when the, the great harvest, they, Jesus says, is at the end of the age, the great harvest of souls he's talking about. The end of the age is the tribulation. That's the last part of the age. The great harvest takes place then. Why do Christians want to get out of here? Man, it's like, you know, we've waited all this time. The harvest is ready Few other laborers, Jesus says, because many don't want to go into the fields at that time and reap the souls that are going to be available. <laughs> available. Souls that are going to be there. There's going to be so many people willing to accept Jesus during the tribulation. There'll be many that won't. They'll harden their hearts more and more and more, just like Pharaoh did and the Egyptians. But there'll be many that won't. And just as the Egyptians were favorably disposed to the Israelites... If you remember the story, I won't go there. I believe it's going to be a, that's a typology. I believe people will be favorably, dis, favorably disposed to the Christians who come with the message of salvation, the good news. And when you bring the good news to people that are going through a tribulation, they're going to jump on it because they know, man, I just saw my brother killed yesterday. I just saw my mum die this morning and I'm standing, where am I going? And they say, believe in Jesus, receive his salvation. And you will live for eternity. And they'll go, yes, I receive, I receive. Forgive me, Lord, for how I've been in rebellion to you for so long. You know, the harvest is going to be there at that time. Why do we want to be gone? This is a retreat mentality in the church, man, I tell you. The church is retreating. They're on the back foot. They just want out. The saints of old would be disgusted if they knew. The saints of old knew that you know, they, were, they laid their life on the line every day. Paul laid his life on the line every day to see people come to know Jesus. 
He was stoned, he was beaten, he was shipwrecked, he was treated so badly. Everyone, you know, was chased. Everywhere he went, he got chased and beat up. Just to see souls come to know Jesus. How different we are. How different we are. Wake up. We have to wake up, man. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Do not let him find you asleep. It says, keep watch. Stand and keep watch at the door because I'm my, uh, my return is soon. Don't let me find you sleeping when I come. Amen. Now, biblical history testifies to the post-trip. Biblical history testifies to the post-trip. Goshen, for example, where I was just talking about with Moses and the Israelites, God protected and kept the Israelites while he poured out his wrath upon the Egyptians. No harm came to the Israelites. Didn't mean they didn't go through hardship because the, the Egyptians were, at that time, were treating them harshly. They had to make double the amount of bricks that they had to make before, all those sorts of things with less straw. You know, it was difficult. They went through hardship, but they were not suffering the wrath of God. They were protected. When it was dark in Egypt, it was light there. When there were flies over Egypt, there was no flies there, you know. God can protect those who put their trust in him. Amen. God can protect you no matter what you do, no matter what you go through. He can protect you. The ark, the ark, Noah's ark. God protected Noah and his family while he poured out his wrath upon the inhabitants of the whole earth. God can protect those who put their trust in him. Amen. Was Noah and his family protected? Everyone else died, but they were protected. Lot, God protected Lot and those in his family who were obedient to the word spoken to them. I had to add that because his wife turned back and she got strictly told, do not turn back, run in that direction, don't look back. She looked back and she got killed. Turned into a pillar of salt, unfortunately. So you've got to be obedient. If Jesus says to you, okay, guys, the tribulation is going to hit Adelaide, get in your car and drive and do not look in the rear view mirror. <laughs> you just break it when you just, let's go. Yeah, don't look in the rear view mirror. Good training. <laughs> All right. You don't look in the rear view mirror. You snap it off, as Bill said. All right, so God protected Lot and those in his family who were obedient to the word spoken to them when he poured out his wrath on Sodom and Gomorrah. God can protect those who put their trust in him. Amen. Amen. I think this is fairly effectual. Doctrines for a pre-trib rapture. To formulate a doctrine to support a pre-tribulation rapture, there must be some further doctrines and teachings introduced. There has to be. You cannot formulate a doctrine of a pre-trib rapture when the Bible so clearly speaks of post-trib. So what do they do? And this is how they come to this conclusion. Firstly, you must teach that the church and Israel are not one. I've spoken on this before in my other uh, video about uh, rapture and also in a, a video on called anti-Semitism I spoke at length with this, but you must teach that the church in Israel are not one. Thus denying the Gentiles that they've been grafted into Israel and are fellow heirs with Israel, etc., which you can read about in Ephesians 3, 6. We are, the mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, not two bodies, one body, and sharers together in the promises. So the church and the Gentiles are sharers in the promises that were given to Israel. We are one, not two. And what I'm talking about is saved Israel. 
saved Israel, those that turned to the Messiah and all those that were before that had lived godly lives in Jesus before he came. Right? That's the Israel I'm talking about because that Israel is the church because anyone who believes in Jesus is the church. Has to be. Okay, as well as the fact that in the beginning it was the Israelites who founded the church. Jesus was Jewish. Twelve disciples were Jewish. Our Bible is written predominantly by Jews. How can you be an anti-Semite and a Christian? <laughs> plenty are, though. Yeah, but plenty are. It's amazing. The deceptions in the church. People are ignorant. They don't read Jesus' words and go, oh, he's a Jew. And Jesus says, you know, salvation comes from the Jews. And how can you then say, but I hate the Jews? Unbelievable. How can you even be racist as a Christian? It just goes against everything Jesus said. Jesus came to unite humanity as one human race. There'll be no distinction, no distinction of colour or race. or You know, we're one human race, really. That's all we are, one human race. We're not you know, thousands of different races. We all look a bit different, okay, depending on where we're living and we're born in the world and by our parents and their genetics. There's all this whole stuff you can go into. But the fact is we're one human race and especially under Christ. Now, this doctrine that Israel and Christians are not one is established, and this is why, so that they can teach that the Jews will be the only ones who will have to go through the Great Tribulation. It's the poor old Jews have to suffer while the church goes off to celebrate the wedding feast of the Lamb. Mm. Anyway, I speak on this at length in my sermon from a year ago on the Rapture in my End Times podcast. Now, I'm going to talk about the wedding feast of the Lamb because there's another deceptional teaching, and I don't know how, according to Scripture, how that came about, that the church would be gone prior to the seven-year period. They go up and have this wonderful feast for seven years, but then they come back, and Jesus claims you know, his rightful places as king and lord of the earth. So the wedding feast is going to take place while poor old Israel is down here suffering, tribulation, by themselves, church gone. And the Holy Spirit is gone too. So they can't, how can they even be believers if the Holy Spirit's gone? I'm going to talk about that in a second anyway. To formulate a doctrine to support a pre-tribulation rapture, you must create a theology that teaches that each gospel was specific to a people group so that it does not apply to the church. And what that means is each gospel, meaning each book of, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, each of those books must be uh, specific to a people group. And this is what they did. Pre-tribulation teachers teach that the four gospels are written for four different audiences. The book of Matthew was written to the Jew. The book of Mark was written to the Romans. The book of Luke was written to the Greeks. And the book of John was written to the church. Now, it just so happens that the three discourses Jesus gave about the tribulation are in Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21. However, due to this doctrine, none applied to the church because these books were not written to the church. Only the book of John was. This is a true teaching. Right, So every reference, you know, if you say, hang on, in Mark 13, uh, it says what I said, after these terrible days, then the Lord's going to come and, you know, no, 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 that was written to the Romans. 
It's not to us. It's, we're the church. Only the book of John was written to the church. However, they go and claim every other promise in those books. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, doctrine of imminency. To formulate a doctrine to support a pre-tribulation rapture, they must create a doctrine of imminency and teach that Christ, this is what the doctrine of imminency is, Christ can return at any time, regardless of certain prophecies having to be fulfilled. Right? Christ can just... Bang, we'll be gone. Just out of here. Bang. But hang on, these prophecies must be fulfilled. Jesus can't return until the whole, all prophecy must be fulfilled before he comes. It's as simple as that. You know, uh, he could not have come prior to 1948 before the establishment of Israel because the word of God clearly says that that must happen before the coming of the Lord. Prophecies cannot be left unfulfilled because then that would mean that the Bible holds unfulfilled promises or unfulfilled prophecy, and it won't. It, everything will be fulfilled. Now, they also uh, can return at any time, regardless of certain prophecies will be fulfilled, and, and they come to these conclusions for because they're sayings like, he comes like a thief. I come like a thief in the night. Therefore, you know. But we are told in 1 Thessalonians 5.4, but you brothers are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. Paul says, you're not in darkness. This day won't surprise you like a thief, right? His imminent return. The imminency in Scripture refers to those who are not watching because he says, watch so you don't fall into temptation. Watch so you, you know when I'm coming, when the master's about to return. Those that don't watch, so Christians that aren't watching and they're really just living their life and getting into all the, all the sinful actions, things of the world, and they don't watch for Jesus' second coming, they don't care about it. And also for unbelievers. There's a lot of unbelievers out there. They don't even believe Jesus is a real character, a lot of them. They don't even believe he existed and things like that. It's crazy. So how would they even be prepared? But to those who watch for his day, it will not be unexpected. Because it says, brothers, you are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. So the doctrine of imminency must be overhauled. When we discover, especially when we discover Revelation 16.15. Can I just quickly read you this? Um, which is straight after the sixth bowl or the sixth vial of God's wrath being poured out. And moments before the last bowl of the tribulation is poured out, Jesus speaks about his imminent return. Get this, the, the, the uh, pre-wrath situation is completely blown up here because who is Jesus speaking to if not those alive on the planet who believe in him, his saints, his people, his church? Revelation 16, 15 and it says this, right, this is just before the last bowl of God's wrath. This is just prior to the second coming or in the sense of just prior to the end of the tribulation. It says, behold, I come like a thief. If he's speaking about imminency, that late in the tribulation, the doctrine of imminency needs to be re-examined, don't you think? It really does need to be, you've got to look at it again. It cannot mean that Jesus can come at any time. If at the sixth bowl of God's wrath, prior, just prior to the seventh bowl, he says, behold, I come like a thief. And then he says this. I come like a thief. Blessed is he who stays awake and keeps his clothes with him so that he may not be naked and shamefully exposed. He's talking spiritually there. And I reckon physically too. We've got to stay awake, man. We've got to be alert. We've got to watch for the signs. We've got to know the time of his coming. We've got to be very clear. Amen. To formulate a doctrine to support a pre-tribulation rapture, they must teach an unbiblical doctrine of two second comings. 
two of them. The first one being a secret and quiet rapture where no eye will see. Yeah, yeah, you won't know we're gone. You'll be walking down the street and you just disappear and they won't hear anything, you know. You know that they take that, you know, there'll be two at the hand mill, one will be taking the other left. They take that, you know, just because it didn't say one will be taken with a loud trumpet sound when Jesus comes. <laughs> you know, and the angels will alert us all to his coming by yelling out, behold, here comes the Lord. You know, that's what the angels will be saying. And, and they think, oh, no, no, because there are two at the hand mill, one will be taken, the other left. You know, where they go. You know what I mean? It's so quiet. And no one will know. Rubbish, that person will be at the handmill. What is that? <laughs> and, and they'll be saying to each other, What was that sound? I heard a trumpet. <laughs> you know, they're taken, and the person's going, Whoa! <laughs> you know what I mean? It'll be full on. It'll be a full on thing. It's not going to be secret. There's no secret. Actually, this no eye will see. Jesus says, Every eye, every eye. We'll see. There is no such coming discussed in Scripture. There is only the one second coming, and it is after the dreadful days are completed, and those who are still alive will be raptured up to be with the Lord. Those who are still alive will be raptured. The actual timing of the rapture is given in Mark 13, 24 to 27, and I told you about this. After these terrible days, after these days of distress, distress unequaled from the beginning of time and never to be equaled again, after you will see the Son of Man coming. It's so clear in Scripture. Like I said, I was a new Christian. I could see it. And probably the reason was because I didn't go straight to church as I became a new Christian. I searched the Scriptures diligently daily. I already knew this doctrine. I reckon I was probably 10 weeks old as a Christian. I already knew this doctrine. However, Jesus said that he did nothing in secret in John 18, 20. Remember, he says, I did everything publicly. I did nothing in secret. Jesus won't suddenly go against that word that he did nothing in secret. He won't do anything secret. Everyone's going to know when Jesus picks up his bride. I can tell you, he'll make a big, loud ruckus. <laughs> you wait till you see it. it says it in, Likewise, in relation to his return, he said, Every, I will see him in Revelation 1, 7, and loud trumpets will be sounding his coming, 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the voices, so the archangels, Michael will be like screaming. And with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. So everyone's going to know what's going on. Everyone will know because it says the gospel of the kingdom will be preached and then the end will come. So everyone's going to be pretty well tuned in that there's going to be a rapture. Jesus is coming and this is how it's going to be. Trumpets, everything's going to be alerted. Everyone's going to be alerted. So when it takes place, that's why they hide in rocks after it. Hide me from him. Hide me from his hand. Kill me. Rocks fall on me. Hide me. Because they'll all have to have had been preached to. They'll all know the gospel. Force fed, I suppose. But they'll know it. Amen. So to formulate a doctrine to support a pre-tribulation rapture, they must teach that the day of the Lord is the great tribulation. And not the day the Lord actually returns. Therefore, the day of the Lord, the tribulation, is the day the Lord takes his church. And, of course, if the day of the Lord is a tribulation, then we're gone as it happens or before it happens. 
However, the day of the Lord is the day the Lord returns with his angels from heaven to raise the dead from their graves, to rapture those who are still alive at his coming and to exact vengeance upon his enemies, those that do not obey the word of the Lord. And according to Matthew 24, 29, Mark 13, 24 and Luke 21, 27, this time is after the distress of those days and clearly not before. Everyone follow that? I hope you're getting that because it's, um, I won't elaborate too much. The wedding feast. To formulate a doctrine to support a pre-tribulation rapture, you must teach that Jesus returns prior to the tribulation, goes back to heaven to celebrate the marriage supper of the Lamb, leaving the Jews and the two witnesses and the tribulation saints alone while they feast up in heaven. So they're going back. They're going to have this wonderful feast with Jesus and, and celebrations and carrying on. But the poor old Jews and the two witnesses and anyone who comes to know Jesus at that time are going to be um, left down here suffering. As I said, I, I said this before. Hold on. Firstly, Jesus would never have his wedding feast with his church while his people, the Jews, and his elect followers who are on earth go through tribulation, would he? He just wouldn't do that. Come on. What would Jesus do? Doesn't that seem mean? <laughs> Doesn't that seem unjust? that there are still people who deserve to be in that wedding feast down on earth and they're not invited because they have to go through tribulation. So everyone else is up there having a wedding feast. <laughs> that is so unfair. Right? These guys are down here dying for the name of Jesus to declare his gospel fearlessly during the worst time in history. And they're up there just having a party, <laughs> celebrating the fact that they're at a church. Sorry for yelling, but... <laughs> Come on, I've never heard such hypocrisy, such rubbish, such absolute dribble. I've never heard such dribble. That is just disgusting. To even have that, and especially when Scripture doesn't teach that, to actually teach that, I could imagine how many atheists must go, gee, what sort of a God have you got? If that's how he's going to treat his people, you know, come on, man, wake up. Church, wake up. Secondly, it is not biblical. The marriage supper of the Lamb takes place after the tribulation. For in Revelation 19.9, this is just at the end, the wraths of bowls of God's wrath and stuff, have, or they've taken place, but he's about to just go and swipe his enemies once and for all, and this all is at his second coming, right? It is said, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. So at that point in the Revelation, he's just saying blessed are those who are invited. He doesn't say it's actually taken place. Right? It's not actually happening yet. The next few verses then speak of Jesus coming to destroy all the ungodly. And the only feast happening at that time was the birds of the air feasting themselves on the flesh of kings, generals, and mighty men. You read it. Revelation 19, 17, 18. That's the feast that takes place at that time. It's not the wedding feast. It's birds of the air feasting on all those that Jesus has swiped and killed. And it says it in Revelation 19, 17 to 18. The next thing that takes place is the beast and the false prophet are thrown into the lake of burning sulfur and then comes the judgment of believers. Now, why would you have to judge the believers first? To sort everything out. You know, judgment, the judgment of Jesus towards his, his, his followers, uh, it's, it's not a judgment. We don't have to worry about going to hell. What? We're, going to, we're going to be judged according to our fruit, what we've, what, how we have, what we've done for God during our life, right? Now, that will sort everything out. 
So if we've got a, if we're going to have a few tears, that's going to take place then. Sorry, Lord, sorry, Lord, I didn't live for you, and I, I just got saved. You know, I, I sincerely gave my life to you just before I died. But other ones will say, Lord, you know, you know, I've lived your whole, my whole life for you. And Jesus says, Yes, I know. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the rest. Right, the, the judgment must take place first. Then we'll know who lived for God, who didn't as much, and everyone will be all forgiven, and there'll be no more tears. Jesus wipe everything away, and let's celebrate. Let's celebrate. Let's have a wedding. I've got my bride. They love me. They've been justified. They've been edified in in my presence. You know, we received the glory because he's given it to us. Then the wedding feast, feasting themselves in the flesh. Anyway, the next thing that takes place is the beast, the false prophet. I've I've said that the wedding feast will take place. And then after the wedding feast, of course, is the millennium of peace. It all happens at once. Sorry, I'm going all over the place. I'll go to the next one. <laughs> Are you following me? Like, poof, poof, poof. <laughs> it's getting hot in here again. Come on. Now, dubious typologies. To formulate a doctrine to support a pre-tribulation rapture, dubious and questionable doctrines must be established off typologies and analogies and not prophecy and clear biblical teaching. For example, Enoch is a typology of the raptured church before the flood. That's just one example. I was going to look up more, but I thought that's all we need. You know, Enoch was raptured uh, prior to the flood occurring. Therefore, Enoch is the church. The flood is the tribulation and Enoch's gone. Hang on, didn't Noah go through? Yeah, you know, it's, it's not a very good uh, typology. So what they're saying is Noah is like Israel has to go through the flood where Enoch is gone because he's the church. That, why would they speculate something as crazy as that? That's a, that's a dubious typology. However, they ignore very clear historical typologies such as Goshen. I've explained the Goshen typology before and God protected Israel where he poured out his judgment on the Egyptians. Noah's ark, he protected Noah and his family in the ark while the, everyone else died, they drowned. And Lot was protected, and, except his wife, of course, because she didn't obey the Lord. But they were running away from the things that were taking place. So God has historically protected his people during tribulation, but not raptured them. So it's a crazy. And Enoch was not raptured because of tribulation. He was raptured because he got he walked with God and then he was no more because God took him away. He was not about to go through tribulation. He was raptured because of his closeness to God. God said, man, you spend more time up here with me in my presence through the way you worship me and pray, pray to me and, and you may as well just come up here. I've got something in mind for you later in history. That's what I believe anyway. All right, the restrainer. To formulate a doctrine to support a pre-tribulation rapture, they... They teach that the Holy Spirit is the restrainer and when he is removed from the earth, because the Holy Spirit is removed, the church goes with him. And now you know what is holding him back so that he may be revealed at the proper time for the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back, these secret powers, will continue to do so until he is taken out of the way. Right. So what they're saying is that this, the church or the Holy Spirit is holding back these powers of lawlessness and they're going to be taken out of the way, meaning, in their eyes, raptured. It doesn't say raptured, but they're just claiming that that's a reference to the raptured church. But throughout time, there's, they've seen that verse meaning a lot of different things or a lot of different persons, like um, as in they see it as meaning, you know, the Archangel Michael, not, not so much the Holy Spirit. So there is an immediate problem. If the Holy Spirit is no longer on earth, as they, they claim that the Holy Spirit is the one that is removed, who's 
the one that has been restraining evil. But I tell you what, if the Holy Spirit's been restraining evil, he doesn't have, hasn't done a very good job because the, the evil has been running rampant, hasn't it? Anyway, I don't believe that verse actually even says that. And this is what I'm going to talk about now. If the Holy Spirit is no longer on earth, then there will be no more believers on earth because you know it says no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So how can there be any more believers on earth? Thus, every scripture which speaks of saints coming out of the Great Tribulation, like Revelation 7, 13, 14, etc., could not be possible. The two witnesses would also not be able to witness with the power of the Holy Spirit for the Holy Spirit's not there. And the, the two witnesses, I believe, witnessed during the last three and a half years of the tribulation. Also, according to pre-tribulationists, the Jews who are the only ones representing Christ during the tribulation could not witness for Christ also. So not even the Jews could witness for Christ because they wouldn't have the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit's gone. So that's one reason I don't believe that's what the restrainer is. Now, this section is taken from an exceptional and scholarly article by David Maas called The Restrainer in 2 Thessalonians 2.6-7. Now, please take your time to Google and read this article. John found me this article, and it was um, a bit of a mind-blower when I read it. The commonly proposed identifications of the restrainer who is removed includes Michael, the archangel, the government, the gospel proclamation, proclaiming the gospel, uh, the Holy Spirit or the church, However, David Mars discovers the notion of removal of something from the earth is an idea introduced by a mistranslation of the Greek verb yenome. It's an idea reinforced by a failure to recognise a verbal allusion to Daniel 7-8. I really want you guys to look this article up, and especially everyone online who doesn't understand where I'm coming from here. Look up the article. It's, it's a massive article, but it's very, very um, detailed. This guy's done his homework. The mistranslation of the Greek verb in verse 7, to mean take out or remove. But what it should actually translate to is comes to be or become. It's not to take out or remove, it becomes. That's where the word comes from. Has made the verse's meaning uncertain. Now, David Mars also shows that the word restrainer is a mistranslation and the correct word translation of the Greek participle katakon refers to something or someone evil and not someone good and something that is occupying. So I must encourage all seekers of the truth on this matter to read and research the David Mars article called The Restrainer in 2 Thessalonians 2, 6 and 7. However, I'm going to present to you the amended translation of that passage. And I'm just going to go straight down to the underlined bit where I read this before. And it says, and you know what occupies at present. And you know what occupies at present. What occupies at present? 1 John tells us that, in 1 John 5 I think, it tells us that, that Satan is the God of this age, God of this world, right? And you know what occupies a present till the end to reveal him in his season. Remember, Jesus says that he will be revealed when the Antichrist is revealed. This is in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, that don't expect to be taken before he's revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness already is energizing, meaning getting stronger and stronger. Is sin and lawlessness getting stronger and stronger in the world? Yeah. Only at present until he, until he who occupies comes out of the midst. What that means is comes to, so we, we see him. He becomes clear. He stands in and the abomination that causes desolation. He reveals himself. Who? Satan. And then the lawless one, who? The Antichrist, his representative, will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the manifestation of his coming. That to me is a far better translation. If you compare that 
to the, the standard translations today, that, uh, that translation is unbelievable. It's so clear and it lines up with every other scripture. There's no mystery then. It's very, very clear. It connects with all the other scriptures that I just referenced as I was talking through that. Amen. One world religious agenda. Benjamin Krem, a false prophet who asserts that the second coming prophesied by many religions will come in the form of Maitreya, the world teacher. This guy's been pre- preparing the way for a, a world leader who they, is like a Christ figure called Maitreya. They believe he was born in 1977 or something like that. So he's younger than me. Said that his mission is to get Christians to believe that Jesus comes before the Antichrist so that they will accept the New Age Christ. How's that? His mission for like 40, 50 years has been to get Christians to believe that the Antichrist comes, uh, sorry, that Jesus comes prior to the Antichrist revealing. Contrary to scripture, he's done a very good job. One of the methods which has been effective in promulgating this doctrine is the Kingdom Now movement. That Christians have got to claim world dominion now and rule, rule now. You know what I mean? The issue with the pre-tribulation view is that Christians are looking for the coming of Jesus to be before the tribulation and even prior to the appearing of the Antichrist in 2 Thessalonians, as 2 Thessalonians 2 warns us not to expect. Now, I don't believe that uh, pre-tribbers will turn to someone who just steps up and says, I'm the world leader. He probably uses some anti-gravity gravity technology, flies in with a bit of a cloud around his anti-gravity vehicle, and he flies down, lands on the earth, I am Jesus, and he goes straight to the United Nations, <laughs> you know. <laughs> And he starts leading the world, and I don't believe pre-trippers are going to say, oh, that must be him. I don't think that's the point. But the point is to believe that Jesus comes prior to the Antichrist is deception. It is complete deception. Christians are taught that they could be raptured a number of years prior to the tribulation. The problem is that they could be caught up in a worldwide deception. Could be. I use the words could be, which the Antichrist is preparing in appearing as a new age messiah he's going to come as the christ to the christians he's going to come as the krishna to the hindus he's going to come as the 10th iman to the muslims you know this guy benjamin krem believes it's a guy called matreya who knows who it is but he's coming and he is uh, one of the most charismatic powerful leaders the world's ever going to see and he's going to be a ruthless dictator make hitler look like a schoolboy this Maitreya or whoever it is, the Antichrist, is appealing to the sin nature. That's what he's going to appeal to. And people love it when you appeal to the sin nature. That's why the world laps up all these rock stars and pop stars, because they appeal to the sin nature. And just quickly, the origins of the pre-trib. In 1830, uh, Joshim will listen to his bit of a talk on this. Also, I've done a talk on this uh, Uh, at length um, a year ago. In 1830, Margaret MacDonald had visions which are responsible for the teaching of the any moment secret pre-tribulational rapture of the church. John Nelson Darby came to believe in an any moment rapture of the church that was followed by Daniel's 70th week after meeting Margaret MacDonald and was largely responsible for the propagation of this teaching. Even though they try to tell you that he came up with the pre-trib view three years earlier, as I said here, some claim that Darby was not influenced by Margaret MacDonald after spending time with her in 1830. However, Joe Schimmel reveals in his sermon, he comes with the clouds, which is on my YouTube channel, that Darby preached a post-tribulational rapture view in 
in a sermon in 1829, a year before he was post-trib, and, and Joe will explain how, uh, the type of post-trib that he was, one year prior to meeting uh, Margaret MacDonald. I believe that it is better to be prepared to go through tribulation and not have to than to not be prepared and then to be forced to go through it. Don't you think? Isn't prepared, it's better to be prepared to go through it than to not, go, not be prepared and be forced to go through it because then your faith, your hope could all be dashed because you're getting forced to go through something that you were told for so long, for so many years, you would never have to endure. I think that's the most valid point on that subject. Prepare yourselves for tribulation. You might have to go through tribulation. It might not be the great tribulation, but you might have to go through some serious tribulation. Read some books by Richard Wombran, and he'll explain 15 years of imprisonment and daily torture, all in the name of Christ. You read the book by Brother Yun, The Heavenly Man, Torture on torture. They went through serious tribulation. You know what? If, if, if all they had to go through was a nuclear explosion and be dead, they would have loved it over what they had to endure. They had to endure daily, daily torturing, beatings. And some of the uh, Richard Wombra and, and Brother Yun explain the types of tortures they had to endure. It makes you cringe just listening to their description, let alone have to actually endure it. Right? All for the name of Christ. So be prepared for tribulation. It says through much tribulation, you enter the kingdom of heaven. So be prepared. We happen to live in a very, very safe part of the world. So safe, in fact, that pretty well, I, I, there's not hardly anyone that's enduring any type of persecution for the faith or tribulation. Uh, about the worst is, you know, parents or, or uh, siblings or whatever, teasing you or telling you you can't go to church or you can't do this or you shouldn't be that and you don't, why do you believe that garbage and all the arguments that can come, you know, nearly all of us here know what we're talking about because we've all had it. To me, that's a bit of persecution, not much. <laughs> if that's all we have to endure for the faith, phew. gee, imagine getting imprisoned for 15 years with daily torture and all that time you're trying to keep your head so you don't break. Just praying, Lord, just keep me strong so I don't give up the faith. So they don't brainwash me to the point where I reject you. Keep my brain sane so I can handle what, I'm a, what I have to go through every day. And Richard Wombrand speaks of torturers coming to Christ because they're just daily torturing them with the worst kind of tortures and just absolutely mind-blowed. This guy still believes. I've been doing this for years. Who is this God that you serve? And they bow down. They break. They said the happiest moments. There were some men that they, Richard Wombrand, or, or Brother Ewan, I think it was, might have been Brother Ewan, he looked forward daily to his torture because he got to witness to this unbeliever who was torturing him. And in between the torture, he would talk to him about Jesus and then he'd be tortured again because these guys were under communist China rule. They had to torture, even if they didn't want to torture you. They had to. So they're torturing him. Sorry, Brother Ewan. You know, sticking you know, electrical currents up his fingers or something like that, you know, or whatever they did. You know, terrible things. There's so many things they did. And, and in between, Brother Jung, don't worry, brother, you know, and he, he preached to him and see him come to know Jesus. You know, amazing. So why do Christians be persecuted? Bring people to the Lord. Who knows? To, for test and refine us so that we become better in Christ, stronger, more faithful. And... The reward far outweighs the costs. 
what we have to endure. You know, he, uh, Paul saw it as inconsequential, the, what he had to endure on earth, just to behold Christ to live in his glory forever and ever and ever. You know, Christians around the world have been going through intense tribulation for the last 2,000 years to suggest to them that the doctrine that they would be raptured before the tribulation would be ludicrous. If I went into Brother Yun while he's going through his tortures, don't worry, you're going to be taught, uh, raptured before the tribulation. It's a... I'm in it, mate. <laughs> Personally, I'm in it. I'm not raptured. I'm going through it. You know? Even though they did not go through the prophesied tribulation, many would have believed they were in it. Could you imagine how many would believe that they were actually in the tribulation and that their Lord must be coming soon because of it? Their attitude was one of martyrdom, being prepared to die for the Lord and not cowardice. They weren't cowards. They stood firm. Pray that you'll be able to stand before the Son of Man. Pray that you can endure all that is coming upon the earth. Not only were they prepared to go through, but they could say with Paul, Romans 5, 3 to 4, and not only so, but we glory in tribulations. How's that? Paul gloried in tribulations. Also knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience works experience, and experience works hope. That's an attitude, isn't it? All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this word, and I, I thank you for everyone's patience here on this, uh, just to go through this. I know it was a big, big and uh, hard-to-follow sermon, I suppose, in some respects, but and I just pray that this word will go out and uh, be very, very fruitful, that uh, multitudes around the planet will receive this word and turn to uh, the truth of the rapture, what the Bible actually has to say about it, and not live under this deception. That uh, of a pre-tribulation rapture and being gone before anything bad happens. But Lord, that uh, you'll wake your church up, wake us up, give us this attitude of glorying in tribulations, to look forward to the great tribulation just so we can see souls come to know Jesus and have dis disregard ourselves and be more concerned with seeing people come to know Jesus and having eternal life. That we would stop thinking about number one all the time and start being more concerned for others. Give us a prayer heart to pray to see many come to salvation. Give us a, uh, a diligence in studying the scriptures so that we ourselves will not be deceived uh, like the rest of men who are going to be deceived by this coming Antichrist. And so, Lord, uh, I thank you for the word, and I just pray your spirit of peace and blessing and blood covering over all of us and that you'll help us uh, in the time to come and give us the strength to stand in these times ahead. In the name of Jesus, amen. Mm -hmm. series, Uncovering Religion, Truth, Judgment and Eternity, Apologetics 101, Critical Doctrine and End Times. Feel free to check them out.